And I invite you to turn this morning to Revelation chapter 4. Next Sunday, we're going to reflect on the Ascension. The Sunday after that, we're going to reflect on Pentecost. And then we're going to start a series on 2 Corinthians, which I'm very excited about. For this morning, though, we have our last sermon in our short Our God Is series. And so far, we've seen that our God is just, that he's gracious and merciful and opposes sin in our lives. And last Sunday, we saw that our God sees us. Now we're going to reflect on the truth that our God is holy. And we're going to do that with a sermon from Revelation, uh, which means we're connecting two of the scariest things in Christianity, aren't we? Uh, what book of the Bible provokes more fear and anxiety than Revelation? Uh, and then what concept provokes more fear and anxiety than God's holiness for most Christians? Uh, if I asked you this morning if thinking about God's holiness made you feel safe and forgiven, how many of you would raise your hands? Uh, and how many of you, if you're being honest... When you think of God's holiness, want to draw near and worship God. I know you know you're supposed to, but how many of you want to? Uh, even as a young minister, God's holiness scared me because I saw it as the attribute of God that contained all of his justice and all of his righteousness and none of his mercy. In other words, I saw God's holiness as a thing that sends me to hell but not the thing that sends me to heaven. That's wrong. Revelation chapter 4 invites us into heavenly worship because worship strengthens our trust in God by helping us to see him more clearly. And here at the heart of this clearer vision of God in Revelation 4 is God's holiness. And I hope to show you this morning at the heart of God's holiness in Revelation 4 is Jesus. This morning I want you to come away seeing God's holiness as, as I've come to see it through my own study of the Bible as something profoundly comforting, as something that actually does inspire joyful worship. And I want that for you because the more clearly we see God's holiness, the more we will want to worship him. And then that worship will cause us to see his holiness even more clearly. And then we'll want to worship him even more. And as we get caught up in that beautiful cycle, the result will be that we will be able to discern the presence of Jesus more and more in our lives and in the lives of those around us. So let's read Revelation chapter 4. Let's pray. Then we'll consider our text under the, the three points that are on the screen there. Worship shows us God's holiness, and then God's holiness humbles us. And then finally, God's holiness restores us. Revelation chapter 4. <clears throat> After this, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were twenty-four thrones, and seated on the thrones were twenty-four elders, 
clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature, like a lion. The second living creature, like an ox. The third living creature, with the face of a man. And the fourth living creature, like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was, is, and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Thus far the reading of what I think can only be God's own word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word which you have given to us for our instruction and edification so that we might learn to see you more clearly. Father, we pray that you would do this now for us through your Spirit. Uh, that your spirit would give us minds to understand your word, ears to hear it, and hearts to believe it, so that uh, through the eye of faith we might behold our holy God and be comforted and strengthened and draw near to you in joyful worship. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first thing I want to think about with you this morning is that worship shows us God's holiness. Uh, just to put a a little more uh, of the book's context here. Uh, learning to see is a major theme in Revelation. The Greek word, which we correctly translate as revelation, is a word you're familiar with. It's apocalypse. And apocalypse does not mean destruction. It does not mean doom. It means to show something or to point something out. Have you ever asked someone a question like, hey, where's the wrench? Or where's the milk? Or where's my coat? And then uh, they tell you where it is and you still can't find it. So you ask again and then they get up and they walk over next to you and they physically point it out to you. It's right there. That's what the Greek word revelation means. It just means to show, to make you to see. And this is the second half of your Mother's Day sermon this morning. Uh, all the moms are like, yeah, that's for me. Uh, so in Revelation chapter 1, John is shown the resurrected and ascended Jesus, clothed in power and glory, and he's shown this Jesus with symbolic eyes of fire, which as I said a few years ago when I preached through Revelation, is a symbol of Jesus' ability to see everything with perfect clarity. Uh, nothing is hidden from Jesus' sight because his eyes burn away the shelters we hide our idols under, and it shines a light into the darkest corners of our lives. 
And then having been shown the resurrected Jesus, and having been shown that that Jesus sees us clearly, then Jesus, with his perfect vision, shows the church what she looks like in chapters 2 through 3 in these seven letters to the 77 churches in Asia. Uh, He shows us our faithfulness and our unfaithfulness. He calls us to repent, and he encourages us, us to remain faithful. And then we come to chapters 4 and 5 which show us God's holiness. And it shows us uh, the worship and the joy that Jesus wants his holiness to produce in our lives. And you can see that in the very first few verses of chapter 4. I'll read those again. After this I looked, see all this seeing language, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. Uh, When we hear the invitation to come and see what must take place after this, we need to realize that up until this point, Jesus has been giving words of warning and encouragement to the seven churches in Asia, which in Revelation are really a symbol of all of Jesus' churches around the world and all the ways that we can be healthy and unhealthy, faithful and unfaithful, and to most of these churches, all but one, that also would include us too, right? Jesus ends with a warning and a call to grow in faithfulness. So when we're told, I'll show you what must take place after this, what's being revealed is how we listen to Jesus' warning and grow in faithfulness. And the way we listen is through this open door of worship that John enters. And just notice the door is open. Uh, unlike other doors in Revelation, it isn't closed, it doesn't need to be unlocked, or broken down, or open. It's already open. This is Jesus showing us that after God exposes us to ourselves, what we need to do is come into his presence and see him. And very specifically, to see his holiness. Okay, why do I say we need to see his holiness? Well, at the heart of this worship service are these heavenly creatures, which are a mashup of all these different heavenly creatures that appear in Ezekiel, Daniel, Isaiah. Our meditation verse this morning is one of the images that these creatures are drawn from. Uh, We'll talk about their faces a little bit later. But first, did you notice that not only do they fly around God's throne as the angels do in Isaiah, they are, in verse 8, full of eyes all around them, and within them. And day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. He says they're full of eyes outside and they're full of eyes inside. In other words, these are creatures that can see. Right? They see inside of themselves. They see their nature. They see their actions and their motivations. And they see outside of themselves And the one they see outside of themselves is God. And then notice that when they see themselves, and then when they see God in relationship to themselves, that's when they sing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is. So why does their vision of God cause them to sing and worship and call out, God, you are 
holy. Well, let's look at what John says. In verse 3, we're told, And he who sat there on the throne had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Um, so it's important to keep in mind that when you read Revelation, that God usually creates these pictures by putting together multiple different images from all over the Bible. Uh, so for instance, jasper and carnelian and emeralds are not just pictures of wealth and kingly power. They're some of the stones that appeared in the priest's ephod. In the Old Testament, the ephod was basically a vest that had 12 stones embedded in it that the priest wore to symbolize how much God valued and loved each tribe and how closely God kept them to his heart. You'll notice that around the throne was a rainbow, which is one of the main biblical symbols of God's faithfulness to his promises and his mercy, and not just his faithfulness and mercy to his people, but to all of creation. John sees and these angelic creatures see a vision of the God who is made out of mercy and faithfulness and love to his creation and to his people. He sees a vision of God who reveals himself as embodied by the stones that represent his love and care and salvation for his people. Now take that and look at verse 4. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. Uh, the 24 elders represent both the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles, and they're put together, and when they're put together, I should say, they represent all of God's people. And they're clothed in the garments of salvation and glory. Uh, as Revelation will later talk about, their white clothing shows that Jesus has saved them. Their crowns show that Jesus has given them glory and victory over the world and over the flesh and over the devil. So again, John and these angelic creatures and us are shown the God who not only is faithful and merciful and loves us, we're shown the God who actually saves us from our sins, actually brings us into glory with him. And then finally, shown in verses 5 through 6. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder, and before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. This is how the Holy Spirit is represented in Revelation. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. You know, there's obviously a lot here, just to touch on a few things. The flashes, the lightnings, the rumblings, the peals of thunder clearly bring Sinai into mind. What happened at Mount Sinai? Mount Sinai is that great moment when God enters into a covenant that not only exposes our sins through the word, but also gives us forgiveness through God's word, like we talked about uh, two Sundays ago. Relatedly, the seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God, that's the Holy Spirit, but he's revealed as torches to remind us of the temple where burning torches were lit to re represent the presence of God with his people as their sanctifier and as their redeemer. The God who doesn't abandon them, 
but who lives with them as the light of their world, the light to their path, the one who brings them safety to himself. You see, this vision of God that we're invited to see in worship is the God who is faithful, merciful, full of love and compassion, who saves us, who lives with us in the redemption of his Son, and yes, exposes our sins, but who does so so that we can repent and he can forgive us and transform us through his word and spirit. He's the God who keeps his promises to us and to the entire world. And that God is described with the word holy. When these angelic beings in Revelation say that God is holy, 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 which is just the Hebrew language's way of saying the holiest one there is, when the angels in Isaiah sing it, when God's people in the Bible celebrate it, they aren't just celebrating just God's righteousness or just God's truth or just God's mercy. They're celebrating the life that God lives with us and with all of creation. They're celebrating the way God lives with us. They're celebrating God's life with us of justice and redeeming mercy. They're celebrating the way that God lives with faithfulness to it to us in a covenant relationship sealed with the blood of his own son. They're celebrating God's life of bringing sinners into his heart and clothing them in the white of Jesus and crowning them with his son's own glory and honor so that we can live with them together forever through faith in the Savior. That's what holiness is. And is it any wonder then in that light that when they celebrate and worship God as holy, at the end of the song they add, who was and is and is to come, which is the name Jesus uses to introduce himself in Revelation chapter 1. God's revelation of holiness in worship is the same as his revelation of holiness in Jesus. It's about a life of righteousness and mercy and faithfulness lived with his people in redemption. And that's why I said that at the heart of God's holiness is Jesus. The angelic creatures put it right at the heart of their song. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was, is, is to come. Jesus. And this is why God opens this door of worship for us because as we face the exposure of our sins as happened in chapters 2 and 3, and as we face our need to be faithful, as we face the world, the flesh, and the devil, to use Paul's language, which in Revelation are just called the beast, the harlot, and the devil, what we need to see is Jesus. And the way we see Jesus is in worship. So to that quickly, let's add our final two points. The first is that this vision of God's holiness is not only meant to inspire worship and celebration for who God is and how he lives with us, it's also meant to inspire humility too. Uh, back in verse 4, we saw the elders take off their crowns and lay them at Jesus' feet. Uh, in Revelation, those crowns symbolize uh, the victory over sin and death and hell that we receive from Jesus. And also in Revelation, and in Isaiah, Daniel, Ezekiel, where a lot of these images are drawn from, when something is laid at the foot of God's throne, 
it's done as a recognition that this thing isn't something we've achieved or we've earned through our own strength and power and intelligence. It's a gift. And laying that gift back at Jesus' feet is a way of showing that it came from Jesus. When God shows us these 24 elders, which represent the church, taking off these crowns and laying them at Jesus' feet, he's showing us that the way we should respond to his holiness, uh, to his life with us, is with joy and celebration and humble gratitude. The angelic beings and the 24 elders are not only celebrating who God is, you see, but they're celebrating also what they have undeservedly received from him. You see, my friends, when you learn to see Jesus' holiness, not just as one part of his character, but as the word that describes how he lives with you, a sinner, in redemption and in mercy, uh, when you learn to see that his holiness describes his life of forgiveness with you, his love for you, his faithfulness to you, uh, when you see that holiness describes how God is the one who both exposes your sins and yet at the same time draws you as a sinner nearer to his heart in sanctifying grace and forgiving mercy, clothing you in glory and in the blood and righteousness of Jesus, our response ought to be celebration, worship, and humility. Who am I? Can I receive this gift from you? This is why these creatures have eyes on the inside, too. Seeing who God is, seeing who they are, how could I have received such a thing? Holy are you. Who is like you? Who's like Jesus? That brings us to our third and final point, which is that God's holiness restores us. Uh, we've already thought a bit about how God's holiness is what forgives us and helps us in our life with him. But there's an element of this restoration in this vision of worship that I don't want us to overlook. So in verse 7, the four living creatures each have different faces. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. I should have said, kids, I'm really looking forward to your drawings after church today. Uh, these creatures seem to represent all of the creatures of creation. And you can see that, for instance, because in chapter 5, verses 8 through 14, the elders who symbolize all of God's people, they lead the whole church in worship, and then the creatures lead all of creation in worship. So that seems to show that these creatures represent just everything that lives on the earth. And I say all of that then to say this. In this vision of these creatures, humans are simply just a part of creation. They aren't higher, they aren't better, they aren't leading in worship. They're a part of worship. Why did God portray us this way? Uh, there's one answer I'm going to give this morning. I think there's more, but I'm going to give just one for now. Right now, humans are the only part of creation that doesn't consistently worship God. The cows, the pigs, the eagles, the dogs, the cats, the fish, the rocks, the trees, the stars, everything else, all of them are doing exactly and perfectly what they were created to do from before the foundation of the world. We aren't. We don't. Humans are the ones who rebel. Humans are the ones who sin. 
We're the ones who fell and caused the rest of creation to be subjected to futility, which it cries out to Jesus to be freed from. And that's why this picture of humans joining in with the rest of creation is so powerful, because it shows us as restored members of the community of creation, doing what we were created to do because of God's holiness. You see, by drawing us into worship, we learn to see God as the one who lives with us in holiness. We're humbled to find that he would love us with such a great love. And then that restores us, brings us back into that joyful worship and love of God, which the rest of creation has been continuing since the world began. So I hope you now see God's holiness as something wonderful. Uh, I hope you see it as the word that describes how God lives with you in Jesus. I also hope you can see how important corporate weekly worship is to seeing Jesus and his holiness uh, more clearly every week, and that you want to see him and his holiness more clearly every week, because you want to celebrate and be humbled and enjoy the fact that you are being restored to your place in creation as a worshiper of God. Uh, let me just add this in closing. Our worship service here at Grace is aimed at showing us uh, all of Jesus and his holiness every week as much as we can. Uh, by hearing the greeting from the Bible, by reciting Bible passages that talk about God living with us, by hearing God expose our sins, by confessing our sins, by hearing God forgive us and assure us that he lives with us, by drawing us near, hearing God draw us near to his heart, uh, by trying to see Jesus as he's presented in the word, by praying that we can shape our lives around his word, uh, by casting our gifts at his feet in humility each week in the giving of tithes and offerings, by, by meeting with him in the supper, by hearing him send us out in the promise of his presence and the benediction. All of this is so that each Sunday we can see Jesus in all the ways that he lives with us just a little bit more clearly through worship and leave here full of praise of his holiness, humble and restored. So let's ask God to give us a love for his worship and to keep showing us his holiness so that we can enjoy the restoring, humbling, joy-bringing vision of God that he wants to give us through his word in that church on Sunday. Amen? Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, thank you that you live with us in the goodness and forgiveness and mercy of your holiness. Uh, please help us to see you and your holiness more clearly as we worship you each Sunday. And uh, as we see you more clearly, please give us the joy that comes from knowing that you are restoring us as worshipers, walking with us as friends, watching over us as our Heavenly Father, preserving us as our Redeemer and Savior. We ask this all in Jesus' name.